Most of the time on Benchmark, we talk about some of the biggest issues in the global economy, including growth, inflation, wages, and central banks. But today, we're turning to a big issue in the economics profession itself. Just as the worlds of media and politics are having their own reckoning with sexual harassment and misconduct following the Harvey Weinstein scandal, male economists are being forced to confront a history of sexism among themselves that has persisted to this day and festered in ways that are frankly pretty shocking. Now, women are speaking out about their experiences and turning the research paper into a powerful tool to shine a light on the dark side of their profession. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer and editor at Bloomberg View in New York. Dan, is it fair to say that economics is a male-dominated profession? It is. And if we look at a couple of anecdotes from the American Economic Association annual conference, they tell the story. The vast majority of panelists at formal sessions were men. And yet here's an interesting dichotomy. Many of the students appeared to be women. Well, maybe it's an omen for the future that the number of women in the profession really will increase if some of these trends keep holding. But anyway, we have two guests today who are going to tell us a lot more about this topic. Later, we'll be talking with our colleague, Gina Smilek, who's written about this issue for Bloomberg recently. But first, we have an economist with a long and distinguished experience in the field who recently led a petition drive to change the way job vacancies are posted in economics. Her name is Heidi Hartman, and she's the founder and president of the Institute for Women's Policy Research in Washington, as well as a professor at George Washington University here. She's also the editor of the Journal of Women, Politics, and Policy, and she joins us by phone today. Heidi, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on Benchmark. My pleasure. Let me start off, Heidi, with the basic question. How much of a share of the economics profession do women constitute in terms of academic positions as well as in government and the private sector? And how has that changed at all in the last 20 years or so? Well, I heard Betsy Stevenson, who was a member of the Council of Economic Advisors under Obama, say that there has been no change since 1993. I think she was particularly referring to college majors. At the same time, the share of women college majors in engineering, in computer science, in physics has increased. And of course, in fields like psychology and biology, women are the majority of college majors. So in math, they are close to the majority in college majors. So the idea that, you know, the reason we don't have more female economists is that they can't do math, which is a common shibboleth, is, is not true, according to her. And the lack of progress stands out in comparison to all the other fields. The higher up you go in the hierarchy of prestige jobs like top-rated universities, the fewer women you'll find. In economics, you'll find more at community colleges. You'll find more in government. Government is historically a less discriminating environment. It's a fairer environment. And even in the corporate sector, you might find more economists, although I'm not sure about that one. That sounds pretty ironic given the chair of the Federal Reserve, admittedly departing, is a woman. Yes, and Betsy Stevenson also gave a paper on principles textbooks and 
how often they mention women in examples, like you make up an example about a business manager and a worker, most typically the higher level person will be made up as a male and the lower level person will be made up as a female. And in the real world, they don't take as many examples of women economists as there actually are in the field. I guess there are about 25% in the PhD market and uh, their examples in textbooks are about half of that. In the policymaker arena, Janet Yellen herself accounts for 55% of all mentions of female policymakers in economics. I saw that statistic and I found that absolutely astounding. But maybe, Heidi, can you tell us a little bit more about why the underrepresentation of women is so ingrained in the economics profession and whereas that hasn't, you know, those barriers have kind of been broken in some of the other fields you mentioned? Well, I think part of it is just the very way we tend to define economics. We talk about the rational economic man. We talk about scarcity and allocating scarce goods. And the marketplace and uh, production outside the home is the main field of economics. But a lot of what is now called human provisioning is done in the home by unpaid labor. And that's been historically the realm of women and is still disproportionately the realm of women. And that has been, you know, for the most part, defined out of bounds for economics. Now that's changing, but, you know, you still have GDP figures that do not include unpaid labor, except in satellite accounts, unpaid labor as a deterrent to paid labor, where the productivity might be higher, is not even included in our macroeconomic models. So our models of long-term growth are incomplete because we don't include what some of the barriers might be to labor force participation, such as the need to provision for families and to raise children and take care of elders. Heidi, have you personally faced barriers? Well, yes and no. I think that I found that academia would be difficult for me based on the kind of response my work was getting. I always focused on gender. I was cautioned by many people not to focus on gender. That would be a bad move in the profession. And so I decided to start my own think tank in my early 40s. And Why would that be a bad move? <laughs> because it's undervalued in economics. Uh, women often tend to go into labor economics where they can study topics that appear to interest them more, topics like unemployment, poverty, and those topics are, you know, not the mainstream of the field. The mainstream of the field are macroeconomics, financial economics, international economics, and microeconomics. Now, in the area of microeconomics, it was Gary Becker, a rather conservative economist, who opened the whole area of the new household economics in which he opened the concept of household decision-making, and that included unpaid labor. But he tended to say that the household as a whole maximized their joint utility, and he kind of ignored any conflicts between men and women. And I've tended to focus on conflicts between men and women. For example, the way I look at the economics field is very different from the way many of my academic economist friends look at it. I look at it as a, as a turf war. I believe white men in particular are digging in their heels to keep that field for themselves. And they tend to come from a conservative background. They often migrate over from engineering and mathematics, which is probably a little bit of a more conservative background than if you migrated, say, from sociology into economics. So people tend to self-segregate perhaps at an early age, and the women may be discouraged from the way the courses are taught 
We don't see examples of women in the textbooks. We don't see examples of particular questions of interest to women. One woman says that she didn't want to go into economics because she thought it was all about how to help corporations make more money. Now, this leads us into a topic that we want to discuss with you because you've been heavily involved in it lately. What is economics job market rumors and how did it start? When did you hear about it? Well, I honestly only heard about it a short time ago, right around the time that Justin Wolfers wrote a New York Times opinion piece about it in August of 2017, so less than a year ago. That's because I'm not often searching on the academic job market for new PhD candidates. And I'm not in an academic department full time, so I wasn't aware of it. But the field itself has been aware of it for about 10 years. And it appears to be something that was started as a public service by a few, largely men it appears, somewhere, I'm not sure where. And they run it not only for economics, but from sociology and political, for sociology and political science. And there is an official job market that is run by the AEA. It's called JOE, Job Openings for Economists. And there, if you're an employer hiring, as I was this year, you put in your ad and you get a lot of applications and you screen them and you set up interviews at the annual meetings. But there's a whole process that actually starts before that and after that where you might be selecting your candidates, flying them out to your campus. And a lot of people want to know exactly what's going on with that. Who's flying out? Who's been offered? Uh, has the position been filled? And they want that information in real time. And the way they get it is through rumors. They post it anonymously on this job board created by these virtually anonymous people. One is called Kirk. And along with that, anonymous postings can also include comments about the candidates, such as she's hot and he's smart, or even brilliant, or a great macroeconomist. The study that Justin Wolfers popularized by putting it in the New York Times was done by a senior at Berkeley, Alice Wu, and she used uh, all kinds of software that can just measure, count, and identify the words used about female and male candidates. You don't know who's making the comments, but you can tell using names which ones are female and which ones are male. And in addition to all the comments, scurrilous comments about women and very few scurrilous comments about men in the top 20 terms, she found also terrible comments about every minority group, whether gay and lesbian, black, Hispanic, Asian American, Muslim American, Jewish Every minority group was... Heidi, let me just stop you there and come back to something you said. We're talking about a group of nominally sophisticated, well-educated people, and they're putting in job postings. She's hot. <laughs> well, it's not so much job postings. The job postings, official job postings are elsewhere. This is where you put the information about who's coming to campus, who's going to get the job, and you say, well, Susie Smith's not going to get the job because she's stupid. And they use language like that pretty regularly on that site? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's anonymous. And these may be from, they could even be from non-economists, but most people acknowledge they're economists. They could be graduate students. They could be assistant professors. They could be competing assistant professors who don't want Susie Smith to get the job. So they not only say she's hot, but they say she's a whore or, a or something else. Good heavens. And, and now, Is the time ripe for a Me Too movement in... <laughs> academic economics? Well, there may be. I mean, I have heard stories of women who have been propositioned uh, and worse. 
But those are not the prevalent stories. The prevalent stories are more about the aggression in the field of men, particularly towards women. So it's known as a very aggressive field. You give your job talk or any invited paper, and you're criticized. That's the dominant language in economics. It's not, well, you know, I was thinking a different approach might be you could take blah, 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 and then we might get better results on blah, blah, blah. No. It's why did you do it that way? There's a much better way to do it. Don't you know that? And your way is stupid, right? That's how, that's a lot <laughs> yeah, of the language basically. I've heard over the years, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's just our culture. Now, Heidi, I just wanted to ask you, uh, before we turn to Gina, how surprised were you at the success of your petition drive to create a more legitimate site than economics job market rumors? I mean, you, you ended up getting over a thousand signatures. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, my colleague, Michael Reich, who's at Berkeley, and he and I went to Swarthmore College together, where we both majored in economics. We were surprised at how quickly it caught on. It, it caught on like wildfire. And we had 600 within, you know, a couple of weeks. And we let the AEA know what was happening. And it was finally at that point, I think around October 22nd, that they issued their first formal statement opposing the language on EJMR. They didn't even do that uh, from August when it was exposed in the Times until late October. And then October 25th, we officially transmitted our petition. And by the time we shut it down for signatures, we had 1091. We were surprised at how quickly it moved. It is, as far as we know, the largest number of signatures that's ever been delivered to the AEA. And it was very successful and I, and I think very significant because the nub of the problem is hiring. If we hired more women in economics, they do have, on average, I would say, a somewhat less aggressive style than successful men. And the more successful women we have in the field, the better the culture will be for everyone. Let me turn to Gina now. Gina Smilek covers the U.S. economy and Federal Reserve for Bloomberg News in New York. She's with Dan in our studio there today. Gina, welcome back to Benchmark. Thank you. Gina, can you tell us a little bit more about your reporting on economics, job market rumors, and the kinds of stories you've heard about the barriers women face in economics? I, I know you recently interviewed a professor at the University of Maryland. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So so while at the AEA meetings down in Philadelphia, I got really interested in this topic because it was so much the buzz in the air. It was something that people were talking about. And so I sort of poked around and was trying to figure out if economics is having a Me Too moment. And sort of like Heidi said, I, what I really found is it's more talking about sort of this systemic sexism than any individual stories. But I did find this one woman who was willing to talk about her experience with economic job market rumors. And her name's Melissa Kearney. Um, she's a really well-respected economist at the University of Maryland. She's tenured there. And she's also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. So this is a woman with a pretty crazy CV. And what was really shocking to me is she almost quit the field because she was facing so much harassment on this website. And, you know, it was the kind of thing where she would go to a conference and immediately there would be a thread just criticizing her paper, pulling it apart, talking about her in really sort of vulgar terms. And then one of the examples that was just shocking to me is she was at one conference and they kept posting her locations. They posted her whereabouts just kind of, you know, to let her know that they had an eye on her. And that kind of harassment just, you know, obviously was a huge problem for her. And she didn't know how to how to sort of handle it. And she ended up sticking it out and it, it sort of calmed down over time. But I think this is sort of a watershed moment that economics as a field is finally talking about the site that has been a problem for a lot of prominent female economists for quite a while now. 
So not quite a Me Too moment in the sense that it's been generally understood until now, but definitely something going on and perhaps just as debilitating for the victims. Yeah, I think what I think this is, what I think the headline we used on our story is less of a Me Too moment and more of a reckoning. So this isn't the kind of thing where everyone's, you know, sort of holding hands and jump and outing names and exposing high profile abuse in the field. What it is is sort of looking at this problem empirically and saying, you know, here's data that shows that women are talked about in physical terms. Here's data that shows that women aren't talked about in professional terms in textbooks. Here's data that shows why undergraduate women aren't getting into and staying in economics and especially macroeconomics. And I think sort of that kind of empiricism is really comfortable in the economics field and is also sort of a way to drive change for them. And speaking of empiricism, aren't there realms of data showing that the most prosperous, the most affluent, the most secure societies are the ones that also embrace diversity in all its forms. So, like, what gives here? Yeah, and I think it's interesting. And I think the thing is, if you talk to a lot of women in economics, and I mean, Heidi probably has a better grasp on this than I do, but it seems like if you talk to a lot of women in economics and men in economics, they'll tell you that they're a field that wants to embrace diversity. I think it's often not even a conscious decision that diversity is being discouraged. In some ways, it's sort of this subtle thing, like the language in textbooks, that just makes the field unwelcoming to women, but that you might not recognize at face value. And so I think this this sort of deep dive into sort of the roots of the problem, the reasons that undergraduate women are not joining the economics field, is going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. Could I tell one story? I interviewed for a job as an assistant professor at Swarthmore College, my alma mater. And one professor who, who I, whom I knew personally, but had become on the faculty there after I left, when I asked him whether there was any women's studies program at Swarthmore, in front of other people, he said, oh, I think the door is behind the Coke machine in the basement of the library. Now, I don't think that's an unconscious statement. So, yes, there are well-meaning men and women who believe the data, want the data, and want to make change. But there are plenty of particularly men in the field who don't want change, who actively put down women in order to keep change from happening. So it's sort of a conceit right now based on the New York Times article, the front page article, that, oh, it's just a bunch of well-meaning rational people, and once they get this data, they're going to change. The Committee on the Status of Women in the Economics Profession has existed since 1971, and they haven't gotten much change since 1971. And they've been producing data since 1971. So do you think it's going to change now? Well, I think so. But people have to fight. And the petition is the first fight. The session on, of the papers that I went to was very good. It was very well attended. I think it was well attended because the press had already started covering the petition drive. And people knew it was an issue and people had signed the petition. Now, interestingly, most of the women giving papers, most of the high profile women in the profession did not sign the petition. They told us personally they supported it, but they didn't want to sign it. Question for both Heidi and Gina. As Janet Yellen prepares to depart, what sort of role model has she been or could she become, depending on what she does now, for women in economics? And I don't just mean academic economics. I mean people who use economics in their place of work. You're a journalist, but you cover economics, for example. 
Yeah, you know, so actually I have a good anecdotal story about this that I think is sort of telling. So my colleague Janet, who covers endowments, Janet Lauren, has a little daughter, Charlie. And Charlie is obsessed with Janet Yellen and economics because her mom told her that Janet Yellen's the, the most important woman in the world. <laughs> and and that would be right. Yeah, well, and I think it's really interesting because I think that, you know, she's a little girl who's going to be a little bit more focused on macroeconomics and sort of monetary policy, these sort of issues as she grows up because... Because Janet Yellen was in that job, she's actually pretty upset that Janet Yellen lost her job. She doesn't understand why. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting to, to sort of think about how that's going to shape a generation of future economists. Heidi, your thoughts on that? I agree. Janet Yellen has been fantastic. She's held two conferences on diversity in the economics profession, specifically giving a great speech at the first one on how diversity within the profession would improve the science of economics would make us include more questions, would give us better answers. We would be better able to anticipate recessions and how to get out of them and a host of other questions. And uh, she's just been fantastic. By the way, you can still buy, I think, small T-shirts for toddlers at the Federal Reserve Board gift shop that say future chair of the Federal Reserve Board. Pink and blue, I think they come in. Right. Well, I have a two-year-old daughter. I'm definitely going to think about that for her third birthday. Better get it now. (laughs) I wanted to come back to another question about these research papers. I mean, one thing that really struck me is that you mentioned papers by Alice Wu. I think there were others that kind of highlight some of these issues with the job board and some other things in the economics profession. And In my covering the uh, economics world in my career, I just see so many research papers that are dominated by math, complex formulas, and and conclusions that tend to be pretty incremental, just incrementally advancing our knowledge of of whatever topic it is. Is is that good? I mean, is that also a function of the male dominance of economics? And would things be different with greater female presence in the profession? Well, this is Heidi. I think it would be, but I think it's it's a different trait of economics. It's the trait of economics to be highly controlled as to what constitutes economics. The neoclassical uh, framework is dominant. Yes, it's led in game theory. Yes, it's led in behavioral economics. But we have a whole new association, the International Association for Feminist Economics, which I believe is about 20 plus years old. And um, it started in order to create a new economics, feminist economics, which would be focusing on this human provisioning that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, it's got a great award-winning journal. It publishes tons of articles in there about this new approach. But the field itself is not very open to new approaches. The way the field is organized, you have to start your own 501c3. You have to have 300 members for at least three years before you can even apply to get session space at what they call the Allied Social Science Association meetings, the annual meetings that were just held in Philadelphia, but they're really run by the American Economics Association. So the AEA is definitely involved in fence-keeping, keeping out marginal ideas, keeping out marginal people. Gina, is there any one question that you wanted to ask Heidi before we wrap up? Yeah, Heidi, one question that I think is really pertinent and something I wasn't really able to get at in my story too much is obviously what we're talking about now is sort of the way that sexism and and sort of subtle sexism and overt sexism play into academic economics. Is it a different story for Wall Street economists, do you think? You know, do you hear different stories when you you talk to women in the two groups? 
Well, I have talked to the Bond women, for example, on Wall Street and and other groups, and I, I get the same sense that they want to band together to identify themselves as women economists to get a little bit more clout. Uh, one of the things that goes on at Columbia University is a sort of economic journalist forum where they typically invite prominent male economists and have female economic journalists ask the questions because they want to give more prominence to the economic journalists who are female. So there's still a need to bolster women in those areas, but I don't know that it's quite as aggressive as it is in in academia. I'm speaking now particularly of economists. I mean, obviously the traders on the floor are quite aggressive, um, and we don't see too many women there. I know we said that would be the last question, but I think we're tapping a pretty deep vein here. Much of the conversation has oriented around the United States, and this is a show about the global economy. Are the problems observed here replicated abroad? Are we doing relatively better or relatively worse in the US? Gina, do you want to take a crack at that one? That one's a little bit beyond the scope of my reporting, to be perfectly honest with you. I've heard anecdotes that suggest relatively better, but they are purely anecdotal, and I don't have any sort of empirical evidence of that. Now, you did work in Frankfurt for a while, helping cover the German economy and the European Central Bank. Some thoughts based on that experience. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was in Frankfurt in 2016, and really this conversation hadn't even started to the degree that it has now. You know, I think that this really, and and Heidi can kind of speak to this, obviously there's been this focus on making economics a more diverse field for years, but I think that at least as someone covering the field, I hadn't heard a lot about sexism in economics in this sort of overt way. You know, like Heidi said, people knew economic job market rumors existed, but not until this summer do I think there was really this reckoning where we said, you know, this is really sort of toxic and this probably is hurting women in the field. I don't think that conversation was happening yet then. Heidi, any perspectives? Well, I think that's right. Germany is a special case. I am of a German background. I have many German relatives. I go over every couple of years. It's a relatively patriarchal society, I think it's safe to say. In England, we certainly saw more commentary about testosterone and men being responsible for some of the international financial crises, big moments in that crisis, uh, the most recent crisis. So we do see some more open discussion, I think, elsewhere. We have a much better focus on getting more women on boards in the other European countries, not only England, but also uh, Scandinavia and I think Germany as well, and France. So there's been national legislation or national goals in those states. We don't have that yet in the United States for corporations, even though, you know, they're publicly chartered institutions. So we do have further to go in the United States. And I think it's safe to say that economics is dominated by American economists worldwide. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. This has been a really interesting conversation and definitely an issue that is not going to go away anytime soon. Heidi Hartman and Gina Smilek, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as wherever you enjoy podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. Heidi, is there a Twitter handle you wanted to give? 
My Twitter feed is at Heidi at IWPR. That's the at sign, H-E-I-D-I-A-T-I-W-P-R. And Gina, you are at? At Gina Smilik. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 